Hi everyone, welcome to All Things Creative. This is Linda Riesenberg Fissler. I'm your host. And on this episode, I thought I would introduce book four of the Blind series to all of my listeners out there. Thank you for joining us, or joining me, I guess. <laughs> us, me and the mouse in my pocket, right? So um, anyway, I've been working on book four of the Blind series. It's called Cloaked. And um, I've been working on that for about the last year or so. There's been some uh, developments, I guess you could say, that my husband was in a biking accident and my two kitty cats have now moved on, passed on. And so there's been some um, struggles in the past year, year and a half that um, has kind of... uh, took my attention away from some things, but I still managed to write a 350, 380,000-word free write for book four, and then ended up compiling that into, oh, um, about 350, 360 or so page uh, book that will be coming out hopefully here in the fall. The book is currently with my editor, Sonia Sweeney. Um, she's over in Germany now. She used to live in LA, uh, but she has picked up her uh, family, which consists of her husband and a toddler, and moved to Germany. So we're communicating, I guess you could say, from um, in, in email and different things like that. Uh, the book is in her hands right now, and she is editing that as I speak. Well, Probably not, because I think it's like the middle of the night in Germany. (laughs) But uh, anyway, so Sonia is going to um, finish that up, hopefully, um, by mid-August. And then uh, I will have some changes to make, I am sure, um, with her suggestions and and corrections and and notes of typos and different things like that. So um, I'm looking at the fall. Uh, hopefully September, October timeframe, maybe November, uh, before the book will be launched. Uh, We'll have a big launch party here in my little hometown. And um, also, if you're friends with me on Facebook or LinkedIn or Google+, there'll be announcements there as well, and I'll naturally announce it here. So one of the things that I wanted to do today, though, was um, I've been over on my Patreon uh, account, um, my patrons have been listening to author readings of the second book, Blind Persuasion. The first book, Blind Influence, I paid for Skyboat Media to um, convert that to an audiobook. Very professionally done. Gabrielle and Stefan were wonderful. There's a little book trailer out on my Amazon author page for that that features their voices um, and it puts the the book, it's a book trailer, so, you know, it summarizes the book um, for everyone. So if you get a chance to go out to my Amazon author page, um, you'll be able to see that trailer. I've posted it a few times also on my Facebook account because um, it's, um, I was very, very honored. Uh, Stefan wrote me a note about the book trailer and said it's one of the best ones that he has ever seen. So uh, that was, was really cool and uh, very much appreciated as well. And um, so Blind Influence, professionally done audiobook, Blind Persuasion, which is the second book in the series, 
uh, I am doing author readings over on my Patreon page. So patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. And then I think there's a backslash Linda Riesenberg Fissler. So um, I'll put the link in the um, description of this episode as well so that you can head on over there and see that. And for as little as a dollar, you can listen to me read my book, uh, Blind Persuasion. And after that, we'll be reading Blind Alliance. But interspersed into that also, I will be releasing audio readings of Cloaked. And this first one is chapter one, part one, and you're introduced to a new character by the name of Dmitry Lasnikov. And Dmitry Lasnikov is a uh, Soviet um, spy. He's with the KGB. He was recalled from Montreal and um, placed in a directorate called the Directorate T, heading up something called the Line X. And there really truly is a Directorate T, and there really truly is a Line X. And uh, this takes place in about 1980-1981 time frame. It starts out uh, around New Year's. And so, you know, most of the book is in 1981 and goes to October of 1981. And um, we've we meet Dmitry Lasnikov as he's looking out over his uh, Vinex directorate, and um, he knows that um, Brezhnev will be coming down to visit him because it's the anniversary of the beginning of Linex, and he's very proud of the work that he's been doing, and it talks a little bit about how the Soviets uh, finagled their way around um, the West basically to obtain uh, information and technology from the West. And uh, so that's, that's basically the the quick, if I tell you all about it, you won't have anything to listen to, but um, that's basically a real quick summary. Uh, So it's an introduction to Dmitry Lasnikov and that'll come up in a few seconds. And then part two of chapter one talks about Sean and Nicole and, and, um, Sean and Nicole are in also in Moscow in the USSR. Sean has taken a position as an ambassador uh, in the book of Cloak, and um, he still is a spy. He still is with MI6, but um, they decide that they would rather go. I think at the end of Blind Alliance, um, we find out that Sean has decided that he doesn't want to go back out into the field. Um, Actually, that's actually a blind persuasion. Um, He doesn't want to go back out in the field. So he's kind of like in limbo with what he wants to do. And uh, he decides that being an ambassador is a good thing. And they end up in Moscow because basically the serpent has never worked with the Soviets. And they think that they would be relatively safe there. And of course, all things being equal, this is a book. They're not safe there. (laughs) So if they were safe there, I wouldn't have a book to write. So um, we'll check in with chapter two part or chapter one, part two, uh, a little bit later on. But I wanted to get chapter one, part one uh, out for everybody to listen to. It's kind of a little pre-launch ditty that you all can enjoy. So without further ado, here is the author reading of Cloaked. Chapter one, part one, late December. 1980. Moscow. USSR. Kremlin. 
Colonel Dmitry Laznikov, a former field agent of the KGB, was looking out his interior office window. He studied the bullpen of workers under his command. While some were scurrying to spruce up their desks and office space, Laznikov, a jovial 53-year-old former engineer turned spy, yearned for his days back in Montreal. His daydream was interrupted when one of his men deposited a new bundle of paper on Laznikov's already cluttered desk. As the cleanup continued, Laznikov's paper heap continued to grow. Beyond the bullpen were solid white doors that led to various laboratories. He made a mental note to visit each lab for inspection before President Brezhnev arrived later in the day. Laznikov leaned out the door and shouted a few more instructions, keeping his smile to himself. He watched as the pace of the men became even more frantic. He could not afford to be too cordial with the men under his command. Laznikov walked back to his desk and sat down in his comfortable leather chair. His mind wandered back in time to a few years earlier when he was recalled from his field work and ushered into the Politburo. Brezhnev, and Lesnikov were friends long before Brezhnev's rise to power. A key player in Brezhnev's ascent in the 1970s, Lesnikov bowed his loyalty to his friend-turned-leader. With each passing year and despite his ill health, Brezhnev managed to accrue more power thanks to Lesnikov's intelligence information. In 1977, Brezhnev removed Podgorny as chairman becoming the top man in the Communist Party, as well as the Soviet Union's ceremonial leader. Brezhnev was ruthless when he needed to be, and his success emerged from lobbying and the political prowess of a thinking man. Brezhnev knew how to make the Politburo his ally, even during the most arduous times. In 1971, the USSR accepted the detente offered by President Richard Nixon. The USSR's economy stalled from the isolation that the leaders before Brezhnev hailed as a mean for their country's success. The lackluster, failing economy was becoming the West's best weapon to undermine communism. However, in the 70s, fear of the USSR's nuclear capabilities was overreaching at best, exaggerated at worst by the U.S. government. The two countries signed the detente, as a way for Soviet-American relations to control the rhetoric of nuclear war and present calm, cool-headed leadership to the rest of the world. The United States did not realize that this detente only confirmed the perception to the rest of the world that these two nations equally possessed the means to obliterate each other, a fact most hoped would deter the other from pushing the button. Lesnikov remembered sitting in the room with his fellow Politburo members and listening to Brezhnev convince them that detente was necessary. We communists, Brezhnev began his speech, have to string along with the capitalists for a while. We need their credits, their agriculture, and their technology. But we are going to continue massive military programs, and by the middle of the 1980s, we will be in a position to return to a much more aggressive, foreign policy designed to gain the upper hand in our relationship with the West. Cheers and applause rose as Brezhnev emphasized the latter part of his last sentence. 
Detente proved to be the shot in the arm the Soviets needed. The GRU and the KGB were set to pounce on every opportunity to steal from the free enterprise systems of the West, particularly in the United States. Lasnikov smiled as he recalled the many different ways during the 1970s the Soviets capitalized, pun intended, on the openness of the United States businesses to share their science and technology advancements. It was no secret to the Soviet leaders that they trailed the West in computer and microelectronic technology by more than a decade. The decision of the detente agreement started when the Council of Ministers and the Central Committee established a new unit. This unit was known as the Directorate T and part of the KGB's first chief directorate. Its mission was to penetrate the research and development programs of Western economies. There were many participants in the Directorate T program involving many factions of the Kremlin, the State Committee of Science and Technology, the Military Industrial Commission, Military Intelligence, also known as the GRU, the Soviet Academy of Sciences, and the State Committee for External Relations supplied Directorate T with its collection requirements. It was no surprise that Brezhnev would recall Lesnikov from Montreal and appoint him to head up Line X, which was the operating arm of the Directorate T. Lesnikov prided himself on his genius for collecting the information the Soviets needed to draw even and then surpass the West. Detente provided new creative ways of Soviet exploitation. Delegations of Soviet specialists traveled to the United States to visit firms and laboratories associated with their commissions. Lasnikov inserted Linex personnel, masquerading as delegates, on these trips. The typical ratio of KGB Linex agents to non-espionage-related delegates was three to one. Lasnikov himself decided to attend a visit to Boeing. Just before entering the factory floor, Lasnikov and a few other Linex delegates excused themselves to the restroom. They applied adhesive to the bottom of their shoes. This method obtained metal samples for the laboratories of Linex to analyze and provided the directorate with information on metals used by Boeing to build both commercial and military aircraft. Another example of their collection methods involved ranking scientists and managers of the Soviet computer and electronics industry. The managers requested and obtained a visa to visit the Uranus Liquid Crystal Watch Company of Mineola on Long Island. Three days before the delegation's arrival, Lesnikov requested an expansion of the itinerary. The request included nearly all of the U.S. computer and semiconductor firms. By studying the U.S. regulations, Lasnikov knew that the Department of Defense would not have time to object to the expansive addition. As a result, Linex agents visited nearly all of the computer and semiconductor firms, acquiring precious secrets through obscure collecting methods as crafty as the adhesives on the soles of their shoes method. These endeavors continued from proposing to Lockheed and Boeing that the Soviets would purchase 50 transport aircraft if the firms would build and equip a modern aircraft city in the USSR. This proposal made to each company resulted in Boeing and Lockheed playing off each other, allowing the Soviets to obtain technical data.
These were only a few operations, and Linex reach touched all aspects of military and commercial systems. Lasnikov smirked at how stupid he thought the Americans were. His Linex operation continued undetected. Ten years later, information was still pouring into his directorate. To his knowledge, the United States had no idea they were helping to build a more powerful Soviet Union. In fact, each year in the last ten, the United States continued to laud the success of detente. His smile grew larger when he recalled, in 1975, the Apollo-Suez spacecraft joint mission and how the Soviets successfully planted a KGB Linex agent among their crew to gain intelligence access to the U.S. space program. Only a few weeks before launch did the U.S. counterintelligence discover the Soviet agent. By then, the agent gathered all the useful information. Lasnikov counted that success as one of Linex's most brilliantly executed operations. Today was the 10th anniversary of Linex. In celebration, Lasnikov invited Brezhnev down to his unit to address his men. He wanted Brezhnev to boast to his workers how the information they were collecting, reviewing, and passing on to others was strengthening the USSR to surpass its enemies militarily in technology and science. The USSR was stronger than ever and now possessed the nuclear capability to strike the United States five times over. Lesnikov personally informed Brezhnev that a new cable channel in the United States aired government activities. On this channel, a report given by a five-star general to the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee proclaimed that the United States military only possessed the ability to strike the USSR four times over. It was a great day in the USSR, and Line X was a huge contributor to the success. Lasnikov couldn't wait to see the expression on his men's faces when Brezhnev painted the USSR prosperous future and the demise of the most inept adversary who unwittingly continued to help them. Lasnikov felt his heart skip a beat with excitement. Yes, Lasnikov thought, the 70s were very good for the Soviet Union, thanks to the detente with the United States.